Hello and welcome to Colors of the Dark. I'm your co-host Rebecca McKendry and with me is Elric Kane. How's it going, sir? Uh, I'm a little slow. No. No, I'm feeling a little slow at the moment. Are you like sloth-like? I'm a little sloth-like. It's one of those movies Hold that on. gets into your system. and That was too good of a segue and I didn't get to ask my questions up at the top first. Aww. What's on your shirt? I wanted to oh, see. Oh, this is the one of the colored oh. new Bev ones they did okay. briefly, which I really love. Um, I thought you were wearing a Misfits shirt, well, and I was about to praise you because I didn't even think you knew who the Misfits were. Well, the were. Misfits clearly ripped it off. Is it Crimson Ghost? Crimson Ghost, And so yeah. this is the Crimson Ghost that's been used for I do like the Misfits, actually. Um, but not, like, I'm not hardcore, as you know, because I like Leonard Cohen. So <laughs> <laughs> that's as hardcore as it is. Tea and oranges, that's where he is, yeah, is tea and exactly. oranges. Exactly, that's how. And, uh, yeah, that's how Elric rolls. Velvet oh. Underground's my metal. So, you know, that's that's just how it is. Yeah. I will turn into a Martian any day of the week. Um, but that said, so yeah, we decided um, now back to that awesome segue that I totally circumvented. Yeah, that's okay. We um, we have been trying to find something to see in theaters almost every week. We've been pretty good about it so far for the past couple of um, weeks since you got back from your crazy European tour and I got back from my camping tour. But um, this week, there wasn't anything really opening. And then while I'm scrolling through the AMC site, I happen upon, for one night and one night only, Slother House. And immediately my interest was piqued of, is that a killer sloth? It looks like the Scream poster, but with a killer sloth. And so I texted it over to Elric and I was like, I know this is not your jam in any capacity. This looks like the least likely movie that you would see, but you're going with me to see Slother House. And he did. Oh, I was excited um, to see it once I saw like the picture, the poster and saw that it was getting, you know, decent reviews. I just don't like the straight mm-hmm. to sci-fi channel type yeah. stuff. as we're, And that's usually because it's a similar kind of movie, but usually because I think those movies are, you know, usually a CG character as the killer. And in this massive props and respect to them for a largely you know puppet animatronic puppet. uh yeah. which is really the highlight of the movie is is this creature which is quite funny and weird because it really knows it's slasher conventions but it's it does. but it's using just replacing it with a mascot slop yeah so this is basically a sorority slasher it is like straight up a sorority slasher but with a sloth and the whole setup it but before i get to the setup it has such a good cold open where you see the sloth kind of cute it's crawling along branches in the amazon oh my gosh look at the cute sloth and this giant alligator or crocodile comes up which do they have in the amazon i'm gonna go with alligator but whatever it comes up and it, it might be a caiman i'm just gonna spend a whole show on this part um it, whatever it is it comes up it rips the sloth off the branches takes it underwater you assume it's gonna be eaten and then you see the sloth like crawling onto the shoreline looking a little bit worse and then you see this thing croc came in roll over and its entire belly has been slashed open and it was just like oh fuck that's what we're doing i am so into this it's been slothered which it's been slothered which, which also i think probably like most humans i hate when the title of a movie is said allowed in a film it's usually the worst so thing in, in this movie the only spoiler i'm gonna give is one of the greatest line deliveries ever where somebody we can't go in there it's a slother house is just pure gold so <laughs> it is it is <laughs> The setup is that um, you later find out that this sloth has been um, taken from its home. It's been brought here to the U.S. with the intention of selling it as like a private animal, um, legal and wild animal trade here in the U.S. 
And this guy has encountered this sloth and he's trying to get rid of it. And so he's trying to unload it on this kind of sorority girl who is looking for the thing that will make her blow up on Instagram that will give her some type of uh, influencer cred so that she can run for president of her sorority house. And she meets this guy and she's like, oh, if I had a pet sloth, this would do it. And she acquires the sloth. And now we have a pet sloth in a sorority house. And that is kind of our general setup. So I had to, this, it felt huge. That was the wild thing is I watch a lot of sci-fi films. I know Elric does not. And you always see kind of the budgetary restraints of it. Like it's a lot of green screen. It's, you know, their um, stock footage. It's a lot of budgetary constraints. This did not feel like this to the point that afterwards Elric and I were standing out in the parking lot talking about how they achieved this and then I discovered the one thing that they did they shot in Serbia that is becoming kind of a hot place to shoot right now because you're you can get so much more um bang for your buck there like you can really stretch a dollar and so this seemed to be a primarily British cast for the most part um and then shot in Serbia and it was primarily in one location a really impressive location because it was this beautiful uh sorority house but yeah really solid acting I had a blast with it there were some absolutely crazy scenes throughout did a limited theatrical so hopefully it will be coming you know either doing an expanded theatrical or heading to vod soon and it's directed by matthew good who who i believe listens to the show so thank you so much for making such a fun movie yeah i i, I had more mixed feelings i guess than you i like i really <laughs> liked the creature uh, the movie felt small to me so we've had opposite feelings like because of the one location the camera work was so good i, I know I, I didn't have dislike any of those aspects i just felt like it felt like i at the start like oh it's a sci-fi movie in terms of the drama and i think you were more into the drama than i was but that said once it knew its tropes i really respected like how it was using them and it was really funny where it kind of loses me is it, it, probably about three quarters of the way through it goes so much more broad comedy than horror comedy it just goes pure comedy yeah. and it goes very big and it, you'll know when it happens it's saying the slot does uh and it's fun but there was a part of me goes oh it kind of loses me a bit and then and then it kind of won me back with the idea that oh it was kind of like watching a part seven of a franchise that has now yeah. gone so far but in one movie. So it's almost like you've watched all the parts one to seven of Slaughter House. Uh, but I know I, I, I really kind of dug it more than I thought I would really dug the creature. And I think the, uh, the other thing we didn't talk about, which is we both agreed as we were watching, like what the standout in terms of how it's put together is obviously in its direction, but in the way it's edited had a really the great pacing, great. kind of a lot of the really jokes good. really kind of delivered on those kind of edit beats. And it turns out unbeknownst to us at the time that our friend uh, Mike Mendez, who was the guest on the second part of the show, nothing to do with Slaughterhouse, uh, edited it, which was a fun thing to discover in the crew. That was totally coincidental, whereas I was like looking up because I wanted to know where they shot it and how they made the budget work and who did the the camera photography and all this stuff. I was suddenly like, Mike Mendez, that's awesome. So we have to ask him about it in the second. Well, section. and apparently, and just this is good for aspiring editors too. All he he actually just took a holiday to hang around the streets of Serbia. He was just like lying around the streets, hoping, begging <laughs> for work. And this is how you do it. So if you're looking for, did. yeah, it's worked. Yeah, yeah he just, just got picked up on a random film during shoot, the so strike you if Great. you go to serbia <laughs> elric now you're going to send a whole bunch of would-be editors to serbia who believe your bullshit stories well so. you know oh. hey the country could use a little help right now let's get let's send some people over 
You know, I've heard of a number of films being shot there and everyone has had nothing but pleasant things to was. say about the cruise. And yeah, like apparently it is becoming a pretty booming industry there. Mm. And I mean, even the, one of the ones that I was in talks with last year was like, and we're going to shoot in Serbia. And every single time I was like, well, I need a suburbs. Oh, we can build that. Well, we need this. Well, we can get that. Like it was mm. not a hurdle. So you know, I'm glad to see that this is kind of a way to to kind of get back. Where up. was Barbarian? It was somewhere like that. It might not have been Serbia, but it was somewhere in that region because they had to make it look like Detroit for, you know, some of the stuff, I think. That's wild. Yeah. That's it's, absolutely it's one of those things wild. you just, it's hard to believe. But anyway, so the house is surprisingly fun. And I will say, I think I liked it quite a bit more than Cocaine Bear, even though it's using. So did I. I found it funnier than Cocaine Bear. Mm -hmm. I thought some of the the jokes landed better. It was more. It knew what it was a little bit more than I thought Cocaine Bear did. Yeah, it's you could tell the person understood horror in a way that I don't think the director of Cocaine Bear gets horror at all, but gets comedy. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that, you know, it's a comparable. But the reason I brought that up is because. You know, again, it was only probably playing once at the cinema, but so maybe it was an audience that were connected to the movie, but people were laughing a lot. It, it was, there were cheers. Yeah, it was a crowd pleasing movie. Uh, you know, even if I was like somewhat mixed, I still enjoyed myself and I'm glad I went. So here's he the sort of house. chuckled through. I did. There's some, I, there's a couple of real big laughs. My entire desk just fell over. This is all for the people who now get to watch us on YouTube that just saw all of everything just took a dive (laughs) off her table, which means our next movie, The Dive. Oh, uh, God, God, you're meant to pick up on that. But if I have to do all the work, that's fine. No. I got us into this I've had a headache all day. I'll just do all the work. I'll this do... is, this is, yeah, we got we got to do better. You're, l- less, you're a little sloth like to my dive, but um, okay. Uh, less punny segues. But yeah, we watched. So we were recommended a movie called The Dive after our shark episode, and I'd heard about it. I knew it was coming to theaters. I knew it was about. I think I got it mixed up in my head with there was some movie that was coming out about. A, I think it's a documentary about a, somebody doing the deepest dive ever i saw that pop up yeah. on my queue a couple days ago and i immediately started so i'll be watching yeah i'm very curious soon. to see that and but yeah that's a documentary yeah and i thought that's what it was for some reason anyway i started watching this movie i think i was the first of us to watch it and i'm watching it for about 10 minutes i think before i was like this relationship between these two girls just feels familiar and i remember like kind of not liking the characters because they maybe because they have a negative relationship and then if so, they start those dive and i realized oh my god i've seen this movie before and sure enough, two years ago, there was a movie called Breaking the Surface from Norway. Which we like. Which is an interesting movie. Yeah, it was very well yeah. made. I feel the same about this, where I like the movie, a little, both movies a little less than it was, how well made they are. Was it Norway? Was that it one's Norway, yeah. Swedish. And I think one of the differences here, so this is a remake. There's a couple very, very faithful remake. Like, they're very, very similar in terms of the drama yeah. relationship. There was a couple action beats that they did different things to try to help the person that actually think the American version was more clever in, in that way. I, I thought so too. Yeah. I found thing with a um, car that I thought was very cool. I also, they left out the dog, yes. which I was like, yes. thank you. Thank you. Yeah. There's, I will say there's a dead dog in the original yeah. version that definitely. Um, and this is just like a mental thing. Dead dogs will always yeah. pull me out yes. if it's taken seriously in a movie. And it was my one complaint with breaking the surface yeah. and they left that out of this version. Smart move. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this one, I actually enjoyed this um, possibly more than the original because it did get really clever in the second and third acts. Like you could see 
see that they were trying to stay a step ahead of what the original one did. And I liked that. Yeah, I think I like there's it's so hard when you especially with these remakes when they're only a year or so apart or two years apart. I find them it's, you know, like let the right one in was back in the day. Uh, it's sometimes a little hard right when you first see it because you're like, OK, this is so familiar. The one thing the original has over it is the setting and location is so gorgeous it's cold where they, they yeah. were going diving at a time where you probably don't need to dive so when things go wrong you kind of it makes sense whereas this one's in what? picturesque beautiful sunny day when they start yeah. and i'm kind of like well what happened in this one well let's back up and give yes. everybody the premise because i think we covered breaking surface probably ago, yeah. two and a half years ago and the whole setup is two sisters go diving and it's in this like super remote location in the original it is this snowy you know, why is anybody going out diving in this god-awful snow, desolate Scandinavian landscape? Um, This one, yeah, it's sunny, it's remote, but it's still like sunny and beautiful. And they get, I think, wait, I wrote it down, 28 meters down, because I was like, how far is it when it gets scary? And they get trapped under rocks. One of them does, yeah, yeah, one does. One of them does. And so the other sister is trying to figure out what to do, but the other sister is trapped at the bottom of the dive area, under rocks, knowing that their oxygen is running out and that they're trapped there and can't get out. So then it's up to the other sister to figure out what to do, how to get her out. She can't move the rocks. It's too remote for them to get service, for them to get out, to get help, things like that. And she's battling oxygen duration. Um, Yeah, this one I felt did a lot more clever stuff. I actually really enjoyed watching this one. Yeah, and and the drama of it is that they're estranged sisters who are half sisters. And I think the older one who's the more experienced diver has the feeling of, oh, you got the better life than I did because you Mm -hmm. had the more stable childhood. There's flashbacks to their life. They're very simple movies, but if you like the, and I think that it was a good wreck that we got because if you're into deep underwater action films and stuff there you don't have many to choose from and these ones you know are very realistically treated so yeah. uh, i thought it was pretty solid but again having seen the other one i think if you don't watch the original if you want to enjoy this purely just jump in. just go one. straight in yeah. just go straight into this one um yeah this is out now um on vod i saw it pop up on my leaderboard on amazon yesterday yeah. so it's getting some play there but yeah really fun especially if you're into your aquatic horror or your kind of disaster horror this is a fun one so this is called the dive just out from RLJ. Okay, so those are the two that we both watched. What else you got? Um, I got a couple shutter ones. I'll start with the one I really liked. Um, and I think it's really well made. Uh, and again, sometimes some a movie can be super well made and maybe doesn't quite go to that extra thing that you're looking for for whatever reason. But this one is really well done called Birth Rebirth. And I keep hearing about this. I'm yeah, excited to it, see it. It was just in theaters too. So it had a limited thing. I don't think it's on Shutter yet because I asked for a screener from the same people who sent us the dive after I watched it. I was like, ooh, mm-hmm. I've been curious about this movie. Uh, directed by Laura Moss, first feature. Uh, it's very similar in terms of the ideas and obviously not intentional because they were made at the same time as the TV version of Dead Ringers, which came out, has a lot of the ooh. same theme okay. are happening in some ways. I actually, and I thought Dead Ringers was like the best looking one of the most interesting things I saw this year, but I actually think- Yeah, I really like Yeah, I love show. the aesthetic of it. I didn't really relate to the characters in Dead Ringers, if you know what I mean. Like, they're kind of weird. The sisters are super weird. They're supposed to yeah, be. Yeah, and I couldn't really that's, relate to them, but I like the show. the whole thing. In this, I could relate to a lot more to the actual drama of this. So it's basically a, uh, a very aloof- uh, 
uh, morgue technician, I guess is what she works. She works in the morgue. She is constantly dealing with dead bodies, is kind of difficult to talk to. Uh, she just has no social skills at all. She's, But she's very good at what she does. Played by Marin Ireland, who if you look her up, you'll go, oh yeah, she's in every movie and a lot of horror films too of the last few uh, years. And uh, she's an interesting character and she's working on something you don't really know what she's working on on the side. Um, and she's taking things from work. Uh, and so you know something's kind of wrong. And the tone's very dark. It's got a very dark kind of somber tone from start to finish. Uh, and there's this nurse and this nurse uh, who works upstairs, same building, but upstairs in a totally different world, uh, is really good at her job. But one day her her, her little girl uh, is staying with somebody else because she's kind of strapped thin and her little girl dies and uh, had some sort of... Um, I can't remember what it was, but like almost like a hepatitis or something and mm-hmm. passes away. And it's just unthinkable because she's only like six. And that body goes to the morgue. And this nurse is obviously, you know, out of her mind. And as she's leaving the hospital after she's gotten the news that her daughter has died, uh, she's leaving. She sees the morgue woman stuffing something big into the back of her car. And it just piques her interest, but she doesn't know what it is. And she soon will find out that the morgue person has taken her daughter's body and you know which is obviously upsetting its own right because she hasn't seen her daughter's body again and when she follows her to her house she finds that her daughter is still somewhat alive and that this woman has been working on something to reanimate basically she says you know i'm working on a cure and she's like cure for what she's like death and you know but not in that big reanimator way this is the opposite treatment of those kind of stories and it and it began the nurse wants to take care of her 24 7 her daughter and say you know so it's it's got a lot of emotion to it it's very well made it's interesting with the ideas the if i had any critique it's that like right when it ended i was like oh man if that was the end of the first act i'd be off the hook curious where you where you would push the story but it kind of you know it it, it it makes sense for the movie you're watching it's totally fine as its own thing but when it ended i was like oh man now i want to know where you could have pushed this from this more kind of realistic into the next level. So, uh, so no real, those, those might sound like spoilers, but there really are just kind of the setup of the emotional and weird side of how they're going to keep, they, there's certain things they need to keep her going uh, mm-hmm. that basically create the horror. But yeah, I think this will be for people like the more grounded, realistic, uh, more downbeat horror. This is, this is, I thought it was a, a good first film. Uh, Birth, Rebirth. Birth, Rebirth. Okay. I'm going to continue on our mortician journey here. This is one that was recommended to me on Twitter that it took me a couple of months to get to because I kept going, I don't know. I don't know how I don't, it doesn't look like me. And then um, this Sunday, I was, I have a family full of COVID right now. And so I know, right? It's been, it's been a week. And so um, while we were spending a, a fun Sunday evening quarantining, and I was specifically in the back room trying not to be around my sneezing kids, um, I decided, I was like, I'll go ahead and pop this in play dead and this is a to be original and i will say with love i have been kind of hit or miss on some of the to be original some of them i'm like holy shit that was really good and then other ones i've been like i don't know about that one this was one that i rather enjoyed so well done on this one to be original and then once I looked it up, I was like, of course it's good. It's Patrick Lussier directed oh, it. Wow. Um, a Tubi original. Yeah. He, this is the person who did My Bloody Valentine, Drive Angry. Like he's got a lot of really nice horror cred to his name. 
The whole setup of this one is that there's this girl, Chloe. She is a medical student um, in her second year. And she find out really early on that her dad has killed himself. And he basically left her and her brother. And they're trying to get by, but the medical, the, the insurance won't pay, his life insurance won't pay out because it was a suicide. And so they're kind of strapped with the house and the people are the home loan people are trying to take the house away because the brother and sister have no money. And so the brother has teamed up with some other person and has tried to rob a place, but get sh- that one guy gets shot in the process and he gets sent to the morgue. And then the brother makes his way back home to her. And he's like, oh, my God, this whole thing went down. And then he suddenly realizes that guy's the the guy's phone had a whole text message about us planning the robbery. And she's like fucking planned a robbery over text. And now it's on this guy's dead body sitting in the morgue downtown. And so she comes up with the idea to fake her own death because she's a medical student and knows how to do this. So she's going to fake her own death so that she can kind of pose as like a drug, uh, a drug overdose, get sent to the morgue. And then as soon as she wakes up in the morgue, she can get the phone and get the fuck out of there. That's the plan. That's your entire first act. So she basically takes the medicine to make herself seem dead. She does it right outside of the the hospital. So she gets discovered real quickly, gets rolled right into the morgue. She wakes up a little bit later. She's in the morgue. And then she sees the coroner. And the coroner does not realize that she's alive yet, but she realizes that this coroner is doing some seriously shady stuff. It's like really twisted. And this is played by Jerry O'Connell. I like him. He's fun. And I know he was really fun in this. And I will not reveal any of the reveals at that point, but there are a lot of really good twists in this. There was a lot of times when I was guessing that it was going to feel really predictable of like, oh, okay, he's like desiccating bodies or whatnot. Nope, nope. It goes different directions. There was definitely a number of moments where I was kind of applauding that it did not go where I was kind of predicting it to go. And then ultimately the bulk of the movie takes place in this morgue after Jerry O'Connell realizes that she has seen what he's been doing. And therefore it kind of turns into this, this chase, this uh, as he's trying to catch her to kill her really good tension sequences. And the whole thing is set in the morgue for the most part, but it does not feel its size. Like you can tell that this is a small movie that basically it had one kind of bigger, you know, robbery scene at the beginning and then it's in a house and then the rest is in the morgue with just Jerry O'Connell and this girl, but it does not, it's directed and shot so well that you don't necessarily feel the restriction on the, the kind of self-containment, but yeah, I enjoyed this one. Thought it was a really fun watch. A combination, it's definitely kind of a dark comedy because it does have a lot of moments that you can tell are supposed to be kind of more comedic in the discoveries. So yeah, on Tubi. So you can go watch it for free right now. This, and I did discover it's on Amazon as well, but you have to pay. Um, Or at least there was one platform on Amazon that kind of prompted me to pay. And then it was like, wait, free on Tubi. Let's do that. What's well, so an this ad is, thing, I guess, for some people. Yeah. I, I will watch the ads mm-hmm, anytime. I'm on strike right now. I'll watch ads so that I can save my four bucks. So yeah, play dead on Tubi. This one was fun. You've inspired me to uh, research at, on Letterboxd after this. I hope this exists. A list of Tubi movie originals. I want to look through a list. I don't believe I've ever watched 
one. I mean, I've watched a lot of films on Tubi and a lot of like low budget things that pop up there, but I don't believe I've watched one of their originals. And so I want to look through the list and see if somebody's ranked them. So I know where to jump in. I thought the one bed rest looked interesting. I mm-hmm. thought about watching that one. So yeah, maybe I'll, I'll check it out. If somebody, if the I've list got doesn't a couple exist. queued up that as well, let, if you find that list, send yeah, it to me. Cause I've exists. got a couple queued up that much like play dead have just been kind of circulating in my to watch list for a while. Give me the motivation to move forward with yes. them, sir. So I'll save judgment because yes. I haven't seen any. Um, yeah. Okay. My next one uh, is called Perpetrator. I uh, did a big festival circuit for a long time and just finally got to shutter by Jennifer Reeder from Canada. Um, this is a film that I am going to talk about in this way. Uh, I'm going to give a caveat to that. Sometimes you watch a film that's craply made. And so it's very, it's so hard to talk about because you're like, I don't like this movie and it's badly made, right? So that's not the case with this movie. But sometimes you just are not going to vibe with a movie. And Mm -hmm. I couldn't, I think this is the movie I've least vibed with in a long time. But, uh, and I say that with like appreciation because it's got such a, very specific tone and vibe that I'm not just saying this. Like, it's not like when I say this about microwave massacre and I say it's somebody's favorite movie. I truly don't know if it is. Uh, this film will really find an audience. This is going to be a popular I have film. to tell you, yeah. I met a person at a convention once who talked about how we always use that as the joke. Yeah. And he said he did have a microwave massacre poster in his bedroom. He makes love under my, I love that. Um, he does. Yeah, or he did until he put that poster. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but Perpetrator is so well put together and it's so specific that the, the very things it's achieving just for me, it was like a very kind of absurdist comedic tone satirical, but also pushing into like a Cronenberg thing at times. A lot of things I like. For some I reason, say, you've got me at absurdist Cronenberg. Well, that's why I, this going? is why I don't want to put people off seeing it so much as make. But I also am not someone who's going to do podcast lying, saying I like this movie when I when I don't. This did not work for me personally at all. But as I was watching it, I kept going. You know what? This is so well put together, and they've achieved what they're going for. And this is going to be somebody's jam. Uh, like like it could even be yours. That's the thing. I, I'd be curious to know. To be honest, it is. I'm writing. Yeah, it down. it's a young. Te- I know it did well in the festival circuit. It's a, a young uh, teenager who's about to turn eighteen. Lives with her dad, and they seem to have a very strange relationship, which makes sense later on. Uh, as she's about to turn eighteen, and they talk in code, and a lot of things would make a lot more sense the second time you watch it because a lot of things that are happening seem artificial while you're watching them, and that might have been why I struggled to get into. I like things a little more grounded uh, at the start. Uh, makes sense in the long run. She is sent to spent time with her aunt which was a win for me because her aunt is played by a very mannered and very uh very surreal version of alicia silverstone which i appreciate because i love alicia silverstone and she's kind of teaching her about this power she has this is the kind of cronenbergy elements where she can almost feel the empathy and victims pain and see the faces of victims and this is set in a town where the cold open is just a girl you know going down the street and an abductor coming masked abductor and a lot of girls have been going missing where had it been that straight slasher tone, i probably would have just you know been kind of a bit more into it but where it goes more ambitious than that is is in the tone and the kind of world and it's like a, a high school a, you know a kind of all girls high school kind of what's well, not all girls there's multiple but it's like uh everyone's wearing uniforms so there's it's going for a stylized version of life 
And so that's interesting. And again, like I said, some people, that's going to be why they like this movie. Um, for me, that just kind of, I don't know, something about it. It's so funny. Tone is such a weird thing with movies and the ones mm-hmm. that keep you up, at least this one is, you know, like doing what it's set out to do, which is not a crap movie. That's that's the difference. Um, I thought it was interesting. It does. There's a, there are a couple scenes, I think, where it's using has to use a CGI thing for her power that just isn't very good to be honest that's the one thing one element that doesn't feel as well put together but you know that happens and uh in a lot of movies nowadays so i will be more curious to hear your thoughts on this too um and you know audience and listeners can write to me telling me uh why i'm wrong but i i also accept that i am not wrong because it's my taste but uh that i do think this is one that will have its kind of cult following so uh an interesting movie so it's really about her trying to trip the perpetrator trying to find the perpetrator who's been doing this to the girls and there's but there's all this kind of like very cronenbergian scanners emotional backdrop stuff that if you've seen scanners would will make a lot of sense okay it's on my have to watch list i have to watch i have eventually and then i have the i have to watch so um it, it deserve, could but, deserve a rebuttal so okay i will i will rebut or possibly agree we'll yeah. see how it goes so yeah it has gone on my october watch list which is what that is is the stuff i have to watch for various podcasts and assignments and projects so it's going to be covered. including all the halloween movies all the Halloween. Oh God, I, I've got that on here. Not all of them. I no, think I've got like four that I have I'll to I'll revisit like, like a couple. <laughs> like, I don't think I've seen Halloween six in a really long mm. time. I've got H2O, Halloween Resurrection. Yeah, there's You've some never seen I've the second seen. Rob Zombie one, H2. Right? No, I've seen, that's, um, I, I like the second Rob yeah, Zombie yeah, more no, than me, the first. No, I'm a, I really like the second one, but we should keep that secret. And thus we're revealing our cards. Yeah. So as Elric um, just foreshadowed, we are doing a screen drafts episode for all the Halloween films. In October so, with Graham Skipper and Billy Ray Bruton. Billy Ray Bruton. The team, so the entire be. episode that uh, had controversy around Friday 13th. Our first Freddy, Freddy versus draft. Jason. Yeah, this was this I feel was like this is less draft. controversial. This will be more like weird know. taste, like people's bizarre taste, I guess. But yeah, that's got to be H2O at number one. Thanks, Billy Ray. Um, I, I will say when yeah. I saw that in theaters I, when I was young, I really liked it. But I remember walking out of it and looking it up on like IMDb. And it was the first movie I remember seeing in a theater that was like 77 minutes long. And I was like, wait, that's not even a movie. Like that's too, how's that even, in my brain, it wasn't even a feature length movie because of that. Uh, I think it came out, was it like our freshman year of college? Because yeah, I remember like it being a pilgrimage when I was at college, because it wasn't playing, like we only had like a really small little art house theater in my actual college town. And we had to drive two towns over to go to the theater at the mall. And I remember all of us like piling into my shitty Volkswagen rabbit to go see it. And it was like a pilgrimage um, to go see H2O. So yeah, that would have been around that time. It's it's fun. I'm, it's fun. I got to revisit. Yeah. I got to revisit. But it will be a fun episode. We'll, we'll remind people closer to the time. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to kick to my shutter watch for this week. Mm-hmm. So I watched one. This is another one. It popped up on my queue and immediately I was like, oh, this sounds like a subgenre that I love. And that subgenre doesn't have a name. I'm going to I'm going to eventually come up with a name for it. Bunch of people trapped in a place and they don't know why they're trapped there. 
That is my subgenre. So I love these movies. I call them kind of cube-esque movies. Mm -hmm. I'd say Saw, but Cube kind of predated that. So Cube is, or or Colobos, there's a bunch of them that did it before Saw. But yeah, that kind of, we don't know why we're here and we're all trapped here. So now we have to sit here and figure it out while some guy kills one of us every hour. I love those movies and I will watch every single one of them. I watched this because I thought it had that premise. If you watch the trailer, it feels like it had that premise. That is not the premise of this movie. The premise of Monument, which is a Polish film from 2018, just hitting shutter now, is that a bunch of people wake up on this cold bus, like it's just this bus. And at first they're kind of confused about why they're there, but then you quickly realize that that they are basically like interns or kind of low-level employees that are headed to this desolate rural hotel, luxury hotel, where they will all be working different levels of staff. Like some of them will be on laundry. Some of them are doing maintenance. Some of them are doing the cooking. Some of them are actual maids in the room. And there's like 30 of them. And they get there and they're all assigned different roles. And then they go to work doing their different assigned positions. And that is how the movie is set up, where one second you're with a group of girls who are all the maids, and then you're with uh, two of the maintenance workers outside smoking, and then you're with the laundry attendants. And for the first third or more of this movie, I was like, there is nothing horror here. I'm literally, it felt like coffee and cigarettes, where I was just watching interesting conversations. You know, it would just be like, here's the first time I started my period. And this is a 20 minute conversation. And now we're with the laundry worker. She talks about, you know, her ex-boyfriend and things like that. Like it was just interesting conversations that were occurring around this hotel with these lower level staff. And then Occasionally, after about the 20-minute mark, something really weird, absurdist, scary, or off-putting starts to happen every few scenes. It's still like you're just watching vignettes around a hotel. You never see any of the guests. You just are with these employees. Every couple of vignettes, something weird will happen. Like, uh, like a girl will just walk out of a room after having this, you know, kind of boring conversation. And then on the way out, she'll just step over a dead body. And you're just like, wait, wait, go back. Wait, what the fuck was that? And so there's enough there to kind of keep you interested because you're like, I don't have a clue what's going on. By the third act, you begin to piece together what's happening, but you're still not there. It basically keeps its cards really close to the vest until kind of the final 10 minutes. And then it's got a massive, massive twist. It's still, you know, parts of this movie I loved. I loved the premise of it. I loved what it did. I loved how weird it was. I loved the absurdist swings. It took a lot for me to keep going through some of it. But that said, by the end, I was glad I had because I found the payoff to be kind of fascinating. It wasn't anything that we haven't seen before. It was just I suddenly enjoyed the presentation of how they did it. So I say that kind of as my predecessor for this is allegorical. It's a slow burn. Not every scene is going to be horror by any stretch. You're not actually going to get anything that I would call meaty horror until the very end of it. But then I looked up how and why this was made, and I suddenly had a lot more kind of reverence for it. It was made by a group of students who had just graduated from university in Poland and wanted something for their acting credits. And so a group of acting students kind of built out 
these different scenes taking place around a hotel with the staff. And that is where this came from. And it's really well shot. So suddenly all these little vignettes I was really impressed with because that's ultimately what it was, was a group of students who wrote a film. And then I was like, oh, fuck yeah, I wish my students did this. That is amazing. And then it gives you enough horror towards the end to keep it going. Hmm, interesting. So this is Monument. You might actually like this because I will say it's got a more kind of slow burn cerebral quality to it and a lot of really good interesting conversations along the way and i might watch it if watching student films for a living wasn't our job <laughs> I know, you might have right? lost me on that detail <laughs> i literally did 20 this afternoon <laughs> so, yeah. so um but that said this it isn't shot like a student film like this is really really nice like this feels above student film level I've seen like some that pretty was good student of, films some that, that transcend that, was, that but yeah, this was shocking to me. And then suddenly I went like, oh, that's a really smart thing. It'd be like if all of, you know, the thesis projects just suddenly found a way to kind of string themselves together and actually sell it as a feature. I was like, that's that's, that's kind funny. of next level brilliant. Um, so that was Monument now on Shutter. Okay. Do you know the Russo brothers? Russo brothers? I do. They actually shot something while I was in Canada. They were shooting something well, in the town. As they well. do all the Marvel stuff, right? They they mm-hmm. are Agbo is their company. Uh, they have a brand new horror film that hit uh, streamers that you have to pay for called All Fun and Games. I had never heard of it, but then uh, looked up. It's about a group of teens, teens in Salem, uh, who find this cursed knife. It kind of had a vibe in terms of the setup of the third um fear street with the you know set mm-hmm. in that time period uh they find this old cursed knife that one of the younger brother brings home to his older brother played by Aza butterfield uh, from hugo uh and it, it forces them it has this inscription that forces you it basically possesses whoever has it and says the words on the knife that then make you it's something like you must play the game or something and then goes around basically forcing the other kids to play this game with it and they're gonna die horrific deaths it's um it also has stars as his sister Natalie Dyer, who's the one of the lead girls mm-hmm. in Stranger Things. Uh yep. and Annabeth Gish had a lot on the surface to get excited about. Salem, funny games, good cast, Russo Brothers, uh, you know, about it's nice and short at 80 minutes, a lot of positives there. Uh so if I ended my review here, that would be a good place to go watch the movie. But uh I hated this movie. Uh oh, God. it was uh it made 80 minutes feel like three hours uh i don't know what it was but and i wasn't alone at the person but who i watched it with now that said it has a fun premise and it kind of starts like oh okay i'm curious it does that edit thing where every time you see something happen it flashes back and forth 20 times with flash frames to scare you it just it was just too much it like it really was it was by the same company the british company you know who obviously probably working with the agbos and it might have been made on the cheap so you know it might not be a big agbo film it might be a small one uh who made choose or die uh mm-hmm. last year which i preferred that to this uh that had at least a playful thing with the kind of the gamification part of this this just gets kind of nasty and feels just a touch generic and i don't i don't i try not to save much space on here ever for negative talk, but for me this was just like it was one of those ones where you're just like fuck man it just felt like i don't know it felt like the ai version of something like this which was disappointing you're just in a bad way re- no because i no, because i'll end after this by re retelling people because I, I actually had to pull one more thing out here because i did find a couple of these movies did not work for me i want to tell people to watch one false move instead because this has just come. What is one false it's a move? F- 
fucking brilliant. I remembered having seen it, but I didn't remember it well. Directed by Carl Franklin from 92. It just got a big restoration by Criterion and stuff. But this is the best freaking 90s thriller. It is Bill Paxton. I've never even heard yeah, of this. I, Billy Bob Billy Thornton, Bob Thornton uh, co-wrote it and is the bad one of the bad guys in it. But Bill Paxton, it, for the Paxton heads out there, and we are all Paxton heads. Paxton heads? Paxton heads. Okay. Bill Paxton, uh, you know, this it's like parrot heads, but Paxton heads, like it we is, have a convention. You know, I love Paxton. Shirts, you know, he it's everything. He, he said you're stewed but what he's the greatest thing ever. Anyway, this is one of those movies that if you're uh, and if you're not, you should be watching a simple plan as one of those great films as Billy Bob and Bill Paxton. Oh, yeah. And I remember this movie, but I didn't really remember how it opens kind of like Henry. It's got this in it's a it's a starts in LA. And I'm bringing it up here because I did want to end on a positive note because I saw this movie that was like seeing it for the first time and it was one of the best things I've seen this year. And it is, uh, it opens in LA and basically it's a, at an all black party and they're all just hanging out, these people in like a neighborhood of LA. And this uh, girl played by Linda Williams, really good performance. She she knocks on the door and they all know her and they've got a handy cam out and they're just having a good kind of birthday vibe. And she comes in and then, you know, they're happy to see her. And then she goes, oh, I forgot saying my car. And she goes to open the door and she lets Billy Bob and his partner come in. And now it's a home invasion. It's real. It goes real dark. It goes Henry dark in the first five minutes. It's like they're coming in and they're looking for this drug money. And it is a brutal, grisly opening crime that opens this movie. And then it hard cuts to, I want to say Arkansas. I'm sorry if I get that totally wrong. Uh, It'll come back to me uh, if it wasn't Arkansas. Yeah, it is Arkansas, uh, where Bill Paxton is a small town sheriff. And kind of clueless, but also just the coolest dude ever. They call him Hurricane because he won't even sit to finish his food. He's always moving and talking. And, you know, he kind of dreams of like being a big shot sheriff. But of course, he's in the small town and he gets wind that these criminals are probably going to come back there because that's where one of them is from. And so these L.A. detectives come out there and they have to work with him. And it it's basically them then just waiting for these criminals to come. And then there's a really cool twist in uh, some of the character relationships. It was just like watching something that you just don't see anymore, which is just like perfect dynamite crime thrillers that, that I wish there was more of, but watching this one, like again, and I remembered, I remembered enough. Like I remembered the start, but because I probably started on TV or something when I first saw it, this was like seeing a whole new movie. So I thought, Hey, we're going to end, let's end on, or at least my picks. (laughs) I want to end on a really good recommendation (laughs) for people. One false move. Nice. Okay. I just added that to the list as well. I've never even heard of this. So I'm really excited, especially after the last crime thriller that you gave me, which I can't even remember, but it was the one with like the incredibly star studded cast, like Val Kilmer and all the, the different police trainees, FBI. Oh, trainees. oh mine. Hunter. That yeah, one, yeah, yeah. Mindhunter. Was Mindhunters. So yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. That one's, that one's <laughs> a totally so different uh, vibe, but, but yes, yeah, no, this, yeah. this one's okay. a lot more real, but you, you get my crime thriller love. Okay, so before I go, um, I have a book I want to talk about. But before I get there, I at least want to give some love to One Piece. And this is the new live action show that just came to Netflix. This is not horror, I will say. Like for those people, when I talk about it on the show, I'm going to say it's horror adjacent. But it's not, don't go in expecting impaling. Actually, there are a lot of heads flying. So yeah, so, but it's not horror in the truest sense of horror. It's a fun story about a little boy who grows up and really wants to be a pirate. And this incredibly brutal pilot pirate has stolen all this money. And as he is being put to death, he basically announces like, my money is your money for the taking. It's out there, go find it. And thus sets loose all of this like, huge amount of pirates heading towards the seas 
it exists in this hyper world. I had been a huge fan of the One Piece manga and then the One Piece um, series and movies that they had created for years. And then I'd kind of forgotten about it for a while. And then I started watching this. This is just really good. It's really well shot. It's really well cast. I just had a blast with it. So I at least wanted to mention just because I had so much fun watching this. And when I say it is horror adjacent, like one of the pirates is a really scary clown who can take his own head off. Um, you know, there's there's crazy gun battles throughout. There's giant sea monsters throughout. It's just kind of a massive universe. But so if you're looking for something a little different, kind of fantasy, uh, sci-fi adjacent with some some heart, definitely horror tones to it. One Piece, even if it's your first time visiting this franchise, it's a trip now on Netflix. But I figured I would end with a book because I've been, oh, and I will say, one Piece, they used all horror directors through the entire thing. And it's just really well shot. But it's like directors from Hannibal, Walking Dead, Bates Motel, the guy who did the terror. Like, it's just all of these horror directors making it out. So that's probably why it feels so, um, it's just got these really good scary beats to it. Anyways, um, I wanted to end with a book that I didn't even write down when this came out, but I just read it last week. Our Shadows Have Claws. This is a YA horror, but it's a collection of Latin American horror stories geared towards YA audience. And basically for everybody who is suddenly like, ugh, YA horror, the only difference between YA and adult is the age of the protagonist. Like there's still going to be blood. There's still going to be gore. There's still going to be sexual situations, um, you know, drug use. Like it's, there's a very fine line in the publishing space between YA horror and adult horror. And if you think about it, a lot of times people kind of waltz back and forth like Grady Hendrix does all the time where some of his protagonists are teens, but then you have to kind of classify, is it YA is by Beth? friends exorcism YA or is it adult so it's a real fine line so don't let that turn you off by any stretch but this was a collection of short stories geared um towards YA all from Latin American authors but also all kind of in deeply ingrained in Latin American culture I learned about a lot of kind of folklore monsters that I had not heard about before and then there was just some really cool ones like there was one about an empty subway car um in the Bronx that was just it was honestly one of my favorites because I just that kind of setting right there of an empty subway car at night in the Bronx it was just beautiful for me. Um, there's one, uh, I had to translate it, the old man with the bag, who I don't know if that's like a, a long running folk story or not, but basically he steals children. There's gorgeous artwork throughout. There's vampires, lots of monsters in this. So it was just a really cool, so many brujas, um, so many witches that it was just an absolutely fun read that I honestly binged this because the stories are so short. They're like four pages long each. So I binged this over the course of like five days while my family has COVID. So yeah, this is called Our Shadows Have Claws and this is out now. So definitely check this out. That feels like a pretty okay. good thematic so uh, segue on its own. It does. Again, hadn't done that on purpose, but definitely a good thematic uh, changeover. So let's go ahead and uh, take a quick break, hear from a sponsor, and then let's bring on our guests, directors of the new film, Satanic Hispanics. 
Tonight's show is brought to you by Factor Meals. If there is one thing that has been getting me through classes being back in session and spooky season being in full swing for the past couple of weeks has been Factor Meals. I've been eating these things for lunch for the past couple of weeks and they are saving me so much time. With the busy fall season already in swing, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals for jam-packed days. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit can help you fuel up fast with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. Too busy this fall to cook, but want to make sure you're eating well? With Factor, skip the extra trip to the grocery store and the chopping and the prepping and the cleaning too, while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality that you need. Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. So all you have to do is just heat and enjoy and then get back to crushing your goals. Adjust your stride this autumn without missing a step. Choose from 34 plus weekly flavor pack, fresh, never frozen meals, ready to eat in just two minutes. Level up with Gourmet Plus options, prepared to perfection by chefs and ready to eat in record time. Treat yourself to upscale meals with premium ingredients like broccolini, leeks, truffle butter, and asparagus. Too busy running around during the day to think about lunch? Keep your energy up with Lunch To Go. Effortless, wholesome meals like grain bowls and salad toppers that are ready to eat when you're on the go. No microwave required. Looking for calorie conscious options during the busy season? Try delicious dietitian approved calorie smart meals with around or less than 550 calories per serving. Need an extra boost to support your wellness goals and feel your best as you tackle a busy autumn? Try protein plus meals with 30 grams of protein or more per serving. Round out your meal and replenish your snack supply with an assortment of 45 plus add-ons, including breakfast items like our delicious apple cinnamon pancakes, bacon and cheddar egg bites, and potato bacon and egg breakfast skillet. Or for an easy wellness boost, try refreshing beverage options like cold-pressed juices, shakes, and smoothies. With Factor, you can rest assured you're making sustainable choices. We offset 100% of our delivery emissions, source 100% renewable electricity for our production sites and offices, and feature sustainably sourced seafood in our meals. This September, get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door, ready in just two minutes with no prep and no mess. Head to factormeals.com slash colors50. That is C-O-L-O-R-S-5-0. And use code colors50 to get 50% off. That's code colors50 at factormeals.com slash colors50 to get 50% off. And welcome back to Colors of the Dark. I am so excited to be talking to three amazing filmmakers and friends tonight with their brand new film, Satanic Hispanics. We have Gigi Guerrera, Mike Mendez, and Alejandro Brugues joining us tonight. So thank you all so much. Elric and I watched this last night and absolute blast. Some of these segments were so amazing. So I'm going to start with kind of the general question. I know you've been asked a bajillion times. Mm. How did this happen? I'm always impressed by anthologies because it's usually either a group of people who have the idea or one person who's then kind of spreading the seed. So where did this one start? 
it was a little bit of a group effort. So yeah, I had made Tales of Halloween with actual Carolyn for epic pictures in, in, in the past. And I like anthologies. That's let me start with that. I think anthologies are cool, largely because a it's fun to watch. And I also enjoy working with filmmakers. I think it's really great to like be able to collaborate in a different way. It's like a like a jam session with filmmakers. And I think that's a lot of fun. So Epic was always really open to doing another one. Also, the when this was kind of like floating around was was uh, Hispanic Heritage Month 2020, and there was like an open letter that John Leguizamo and Lin Manuel Miranda and Fetty Alvarez and like 270 showrunners and uh, filmmakers wrote, kind of going, "Hey, you know, Los Angeles is made up of 49% Latino people. Mm-hmm. Uh, only four percent are actually screenwriters." Uh, and you know the stories that are told are not are always cartel stories or we're gang members or we're in jail or whatever and 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 you know it would be great if we got to tell our stories and that was like oh that's that's really cool and so we were just thinking of different things and then one day I was hanging out with Alejandro and he just kind of burst out when the fuck are we making satanic Hispanics the Latino horror anthology <laughs> and it was kind of like oh did you have yes. that name like already like you just burst out with it so no my head brought it down. Yeah, Norman Cabrera, who's an amazing makeup artist who's worked on, uh, you know, Hellboy, a lot of stuff for Gabriel Del Toro and Rick Baker. Uh, we used to, like, make uh, music videos for this band called Municipal Waste, these thrash metal things. I made a and, Municipal uh, Waste video. Did I'm you really? Kidding. Yeah, I did. I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Small world. So so with Norman being Cuban and me being Salvadorian and, and the DP was uh, Argentinian, we, we, you know, one day Norman's like, we're the satanic Hispanics. Uh, and, and it just sort of stuck. So That is amazing. Okay. So then how did you get the super team together? I uh, Well, we literally started talking about that. And the first thing we said, well, we, we need a good, good group, but we also want to have friends because what's the point of doing something like this? Uh, we, want, we want to have fun, so let's uh, bring some friends. And while literally, while we were still on the phone talking, I was texting Ed Sanchez and telling him, Mike and I are going to do this anthology called Satanic Hispanics and you're in it. And, and Ed replied, cool. <laughs> and then and then the moment we hung up and Mike text te- Mike texted Gigi and I think Gigi says that it was it, it only said satanic Hispanics. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Gigi, yeah, I called Gigi and I, I don't even remember the conversation. You remember it better than I do. Yeah, no, literally I uh first of all I was like, Mike, how'd you get my number? And then, <laughs> That was, a, that was the first question. I was like, wait a second. And uh and yeah, I mean definitely it was at the title they they totally had me and uh I'm I'm happy to be here with my best friend and producer Rainer of all things uh Luchagor. Oh. And I remember Rainer I think was even in the office with me. And Mike just texted me, Satanic Hispanics, what do you think? And you hop on a call. And I literally was like, well, at the name I'm in. What is this? And how'd you get my number? And one of those questions. Out of here, last part. But that's okay. But yeah, how did I get and your number? Was, I have no idea. Yeah. And it was awesome. Like that's that's the kind of title. I'm just glad that even if it was a working title back then, I'm so glad that it has stuck because it's it's so, it's so funny. It's so it just. I don't know, it captivates right away. People will mm-hmm. right away ask questions. And I think it us Latinos have such a double sense of humor with meanings and puns that 
it could be taken in any direction and uh, I, I was I, I was in right away for sure and then and then what we uh, we we started talking and we said if we're going to do this we want to show all kinds of latinos so we had mike who's first generation um we had Gigi Ed and me that immigrated here well, Gigi went to Canada, uh, but we wanted someone from Latin America. So we started going off the list of people. And of course, the Mian was at the top of the list because who doesn't love Terrified? Oh, my gosh. So, that's such a tight movie. And that's yeah. literally, Elric watched this before I did. And he texted me and he was like, that guy's segment is crazy it's like because it's early too in the, in the piece. Style. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and then we, I, I didn't know the Mian. Uh, but we had been in a panel together with Gigi, so I figured out his phone number pretty much like Mike did, Mike did with Gigi, and uh, <laughs> and I called him like I was I was going to um, into prep of a movie, and the moment I landed uh, from the hotel, I called him in and I said, "Hey, <laughs> I'm Alejandro. <laughs> We're making this anthology called Satanic Hispanics, uh, and we want you in." And he was like, "Oh, that's super cool. I, I have other commitments. I'm not sure." And I said, "No, I'm not asking you. You are going to do it." <laughs> and from that point on, it was a concept of me me bullying the man into being in the movie. That's now, cool. is he? Did he do the wraparound? No, Mike no, did. Oh, Mike oh did, you yeah. did. Oh, that was yeah, yeah, so yeah. good. So how did you come up with the concept for the wraparound? Because that I found to be so just, I'm always impressed by wraparounds, especially when they're woven in and just as tight plot wise as any of the well, segments. They're so. often the worst part. Oh, thank you. They're often yeah. the part that lets <laughs> well, the and, and that's, thumbs that's down. The yeah. thing, though. And, and, and I felt like, why is that? Why is it so often that, it, you know, I'm going back to like the original Tales from the Crypt, uh, you know, from the 60s, where, you know, it's usually a group of people and there's someone telling them stories and mm-hmm. then you find out they're all dead. <laughs> and and that, that that's just such a common, you know, Way to trope spoil that... it. Way to spoil it for the rest of the story. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. What, I know. Was that in the 60s? I know. It's, I, no, I think it's 1973, actually. So, so anyway. Mike, what's Gigi's I, number? I, <laughs> there's only a few hundred thousand listeners so it's probably fine between us but i'm sure it's fine I'm sure it's, well, it's cool no yeah. well, after, after the show anyway but um anyway i always thought the wraparound was, was such an important thing and i thought it would be kind of cool to like have something you really sink your teeth into that starts the movie carries it through and kind of interweaves it and then finishes it with it so the audience you know has kind of been on a journey and and you know has a storyteller to follow so I'd had this idea for a character many years ago uh, that, you know, was kind of, I didn't know what to do with it. It was just kind of like an idea of like, oh, maybe this would be a character that kind of knows everything and just kind of travels. I won't say exactly why he travels. I'll let that, you know, uh, you know, and won't spoil anything here. But um, that seemed like a good method because uh, we were thinking about different legends and stories about South America and Latin America and there was something about the idea of just traveling up and down Central America down South America and I was like wow well, a character like that that has been around would would know all the legends he would know the lore and that would be kind of a good entry point to kind of get the idea of this of, of you know of the different myths and legends of Latin America so it seemed like a real neat little vehicle to do that that's cool well, I- it was such a tight wraparound. And I think usually yeah, you don't get you. usually you don't get a big ending with a wraparound. Mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. part of it. And I think in this with that we won't give spoilers, but you get like a it's like its own it's a real movie. Yeah. It's its own segment by the end and has one of a, a, I thought one of the most interesting looking big bads 
I've seen in a long time in terms of design. Just oh yeah, super, oh, cool. yeah. super interesting. Yeah, that's again oh, the, Norman Cabrera. Yeah, yeah. Norman Cabrera, who Beautiful also also sculpted the, the the also sculpted the Hammer of Zanzibar, and we can get into that in a little bit. Uh, oh, but uh, but yeah, we were very lucky to have just amazing Latino talent, oh, talent of all sorts. Yeah. But but we really were trying to showcase uh, Latino talent. So Norman Cabrera, again, just an amazing makeup artist, and we're just so fortunate to to be able to to have him. So. Yeah. No, um, and it was it it was like I I uh, my favorite part of Mike doing the wraparound is that I could tell him every day, Mike, you cannot fuck this up. <laughs> it has to be good. It has. It so works. I was I was I was always pushing him. You have to have a good opening. You have to have a good yeah. ending. You cannot fuck this up because if you fuck up, the whole movie yeah. goes down. No, so, and, and I realized the pressure of that. Thankfully, I was too excited. Something about it, like, was exciting to me. So I didn't, it wasn't until the editing room that I was like, did I, like, did, like, did we, like, like, make a 28-minute thing that is mostly people sitting at a table? Yeah, we did. Fuck. Uh, and and so that was really kind of the challenge of, like, of, like, is this interesting? And 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 thankfully, thanks to, to the actors and the performance and everyone really brought it, it works. I think, I think it's fine. And then, and I was, you know, as a filmmaker, we only have so much, uh, you know, budget for our thing. So I was like, I'm going to make it as small as I can until the very end. I'm going to throw everything at it. So that was a lot of fun. So what the, my favorite thing about it, and that's not always the case with anthologies, is I actually, without looking it up, because I was tempted to look up who did what, I could tell every single one yep. of you who directed mm -hmm. each one, except one. One totally went okay. through me a little. Not not of you guys. Uh, four of you, I totally knew within seconds. One totally, I didn't till the end. I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting, different. But I thought that was great because uh, to be able to see a taster of the things you guys do well in yeah. in this in a condensed piece, that's really in and they're also different. And I think that was yeah. something that also stops a good anthology from ever sitting on its laurels or being dull, right? It kept moving into well, different tones. Yeah. It, it's something we, we encourage, it's certainly all the filmmakers, is that we want we want their voice. You yeah. know, we're, we're so often you come off a project that is disheartening. As, as filmmakers, we get our ass kicked sometimes and we go through something that we go with all the best intentions. This is going to be great. And whether it's executives or notes or producers or whatever it may be, you just, you know, the joy of filmmaking gets beaten out of you and you're like, why do I want to do this? Why, why, uh -huh. what's the point? And so the the way, you know, the only appealing thing about a filmmaker to do this is that we give you the freedom. It's like, we want to hear your voice. And we absolutely chose filmmakers because we love their voice. Gigi, because I just loved El Gigante and was like, oh my God, I wish that was part of this movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, Demian watching Terrified going like, I wish that guy would do our movie, you know, yeah. uh, and, 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 you know, Alejandro. And, of, and then we were like, well, I guess we're stuck with this because uh, we came up with it. So it's like, yeah, let's yeah. find uh, <laughs> yeah. people. So I guess we got to do one too, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, and Alejandro yeah. made, I mean, I still think one of the best segments of an anthology I've ever seen in the one of <laughs> <laughs> a few years ago your your story like what was that anthology called my a uh, fear nightmare cinema. cinema i remember just yeah, watching that nightmare cinema and just Best. being kind of knocked out by that short so you know yeah. i i i i'm honestly i think that short and this one are my favorite things that i have made well i think sometimes well, people Sorry, Mike. Oh, I love that Alejandro basically makes a, a feature in, in his short. He makes a 20-minute mm -hmm. feature, you know, but it, it has three acts and it's a full, fully realized thing. And it's just really tightly packed in there. But I think they're quite brilliant. Yeah. It's not on, it's not on purpose. 
But going, going back to going back to what you were saying, another thing. Another thing. I mean, we I mean, obviously we admire the filmmakers, but we we said everyone was free to do whatever they want. And uh, one surprising, two surprising thing that happened is I think it's what you're saying. The tones are different, and I think that um, I love that that reflects uh, the idiosyncrasy. Is that the word? Mm -hmm. yep. uh, from different from all of us, because uh, Latinos, one of the things we wanted to show is we are not the same. And you show all kinds of Latinos here. And I think our cultures are reflected in the tones of the things that we did. And I always say this, but it's like Argentinians are very cerebral. So you have Demian with his Rubik cube. Um, Cubans, we laugh at everything. So because that's how we have dealt with the what happened in Cuba for over 60 years. So that's why Ed and I were uh, the fun ones. Uh, Mexico has a history of violence and it's reflected in Gigi's and, uh, and well, there's Mike. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it might fit in there somehow too. Yeah. No, yeah. no, but, but no, no, no. But if you think about it, Mike's family immigrated here, so there's there's that traveling thing uh, right. that, yeah, I think, yeah. that I think that I think that I think it's uh, also in there. So I think I think the tones uh, also reflect uh, a bit of us and our countries, and I I, I really enjoy that. Now, did you and for some oh. for some. Oh, I was just going to say, for some of the filmmakers, it's an opportunity to try something different, you know, like yeah. like Ed Sanchez, who's, you know, obviously known for Blair Witch Project and, and you know, a lot of his tele yellow jackets and stuff like that. You know, this was yeah. an opportunity to, to try comedy because why not? You know, no one's yeah. watching. Go for Even it. though Altered's really funny. I love Altered. Altered's one of my, my favorite of his I movies. I like Altered, too. Yeah, yeah it's Alter fun. Well. Yeah. 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 Gigi, sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, you know, it's, it's always really cool to hear from Mike and Alejandro as the producers and filmmakers of of this anthology, but, you know, from my perspective as an invited filmmaker, you know, I've, I've been in a few anthologies and this one, what makes it so special, it really was just that freedom to dive so deep into your heritage and your culture and actually really represent each individual Latino background that we all carry. You know, we're also used to, if you're Latino, you're Mexican, you must be related to Gigi, right? You know, like that's <laughs> kind of what we hear all the time. And being invited in this one, it just had such a unique message that I think all of us just in general have always tried to do in our work in this industry. Yeah. And I, you know, it's very cool and very a big blessing to actually be able to do these kinds of movies today. I don't know if satanic Hispanics would be, we'd be able to make it 10 years ago. You mm -hmm. know, people would be like, ah. no. uh, I think it, it, it's very neat that we can actually do this where, you know, authenticity and diversity is the demand for change. So it, it to me, it's very exciting. And, uh, and I mean, Alejandro is right. I think all of our personalities were reflected in some way. Definitely mine. They did catch me in my five minutes of rage and anger. So I think that's why my segment's so angry and violent, but we had a blast. And it was also the first opportunity for, for us, Luchagor here in Vancouver to actually film in Mexico because we've made Vancouver, Canada look like Mexico too many times. We've, we've run out of, places to film and actors to use <laughs> that it was nice to actually go back home for the first time and that kind of inspired all our work since to go back to mexico 
Now, were all of them shot in Mexico, or where were the different no. segments no, shot? No, all over. They were all shot. Each one, yeah. Everyone yeah. was shooting whatever. Like, oh, wow. Um, yeah, Gigi, um, Gigi, Gigi shot in Gigi. Mexico, the man shot in Argentina. And that is the house from Terrified, by the way. The, oh, the that same is house the same house. Yeah, yeah. 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 Now, yeah. Um, yeah. Ed Sanchez, Ed Sanchez shot in, in Maryland, you know. The, yeah. Latino I, Panthers, I could tell the historic, yeah, it had the historic elements. So it was interesting. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and Mike and I just shot here. Wow. Yeah, we're now, in both LA. Yeah. This always kind of, and this is such like insider baseball nerdy film talk. Did you guys have to come to determination ahead of time about look, about color palettes, about aspect ratio, like the nerdy I, stuff like I, that? Or did you just say, go I, for it and we'll figure it out in post? I was a stickler for aspect ratio. You know, I was like, you know, that's one thing that we could do is all B two three five, so that at least we're all uniform. It's all cinematic, and it all you know kind of fits. But visually, no. Visually, it's we want yeah, to see with, with the filmmaker. Yeah, nice. I, I I actually I actually like wanted to like give him the freedom even with the aspect ratio, but Mike was like, no, oh. okay, but you you cannot fuck up, okay. But G shot with anamorphic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You guys didn't control camera choice or anything like that. Like, no. Wow. No. No. no nice. Well, one well, no, thing that we, was we, we couldn't. Was... We, we were shooting. We were shooting everywhere. Yeah. So it's not it's like true. you can say to the man in Argentina, the, like he he was shooting his new film and then shot this back to back because I bullied him into that, and and I cannot tell him, but you have to use this camera. I don't know if he can get it. So yeah. And it's a true story. Like he really did bully him. I was expecting at some point Demian was going to go. You know what? Fuck you guys. I'm making my movie. I have no time for this. I have other things. But sure enough, he he, he persuaded him to go. Like no, just keep shooting. Just keep shooting. 40, like finish your movie. Forty minutes on the phone. It's like I'm not gonna look bad in front of Mendes. <laughs> <laughs> You're making me. No, but I'm. I you know, persuade, persuade is a, persuade is a Spanish. Uh, you know. Translation to kidnapped. But they... <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm gonna send. I'm gonna send Gigi and Rainer. <laughs> but one one thing that's really cool, you know, though all the technical things we did agree ahead of time in some things. One thing that's a it's always a really cool behind the scenes story to share is that a, a few of us were filming almost at the same time as Mike Mendez was finishing filming oh, and, and Alejandro. So, you know, Mike is shooting the wraparound and actually texting us at the same time, be like, you're going to have to incorporate this prop or you're going to have to incorporate the name of this character. You're going to have to do it. So like, it was really neat because, you know, when we joined for our segment of Nahuales, we didn't even have a script. We just kept saying, yeah, yeah, it's coming. Yeah, yeah. You know, until Mike just had to shoot he was already filming so we always had to all of us collaborate on a very messy whatsapp chat that we have yeah, and, still going. and it's still going but i think that's what makes you know this anthology really fun is that the wraparound is is awesomely connected connects them all so well and it's mm -hmm. true like you guys like uh, both rebecca and you eric that you said the wraparound sometimes can be not the best part and in this case, you know, we have found people are excited to see what the traveler is going to show next. Oh, yeah. And it really is Mike uh, telling the rest of us, do this for your segment, please. <laughs> one, one, thing, one, thing we, one thing we had uh, was the order, but that mm -hmm. changed one, once, once we saw it. 
I was going to say, because that happened, my very first film was an anthology and what we had planned out, we completely rearranged once we saw, because it was all about pacing. And um, I always looked at it like the Grand Gignol used to have this thing that they called, this is the theater that used to do like live theatrical horror performances. They had this thing they called hot and cold showers, where you would have one that was super fast and crazy, and then they would slow it down for the next, and then a comedy one, and then a sad one. And I feel like once you watch it at the end, you want to kind of coordinate it like that. So yeah. you change that, the order. We very much was, took that approach, yeah. Mm-hmm. The hot yeah, it, 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 well, not initially. Initially, not initially. It, was, it, it was the Mian and Gigi and then Ed and me. And what was happening there is that you had like one hour of a serious movie in Spanish and then another hour of funny stuff in English. And it was just like weird. It, it, it like the moment we saw it, like all of us, I, we we didn't see it together. And when we went into the, the chat, we were all like, "Are there wrong?" Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it just it just was you know because you're informing the audience this is what it's going to be, and if they've seen an hour of Spanish language serious stuff, and then all of a sudden it gets wacky, it's it's just too much. Yeah. So the. the the kind of Grand Guignol hot and cold seemed like a, a much better yeah. way that we'd, you know, start with Demian, then go funny, and then you go back to dark with Gigi, and then go back funny, so, you know. There's a, there's yeah. another interesting quality to it, which, um for people who haven't seen it yet, that I think makes it just feel a little different than other anthologies I've seen, because we keep saying shorts, right? But it felt like, especially Gigi's, uh, I think, felt like you've entered a part of a feature film. Like you've entered, you've you haven't had all the setup like you would with a normal short, and you've entered this part portion of film, and then you're out because the traveler is telling a story. And I thought that was made it the whole thing feel more connected, more cinematic mm-hmm. because they didn't just feel like short films; they felt like a segment of a feature. A yeah, and I yeah. thought that was actually really effective. All the stories had that feeling. I thought, and often there you get too much self-contained short films, you know, packaged together. Uh, with a wraparound right. and I think maybe maybe that's a testament to the wraparound too but I just felt the stories were uh, you know it, it kind of lit your mind kept your mind thinking afterwards like oh I wonder what was happening right before that moment or right after or I wonder if I can hear that song again um, from Alejandro's uh, on repeat loop for the rest of my life <laughs> you can it's, a, it's a, I love this song I'm going to send it to you afterwards <laughs> that awesome. was, uh, that's a reference to Jonah Ray wrote an original song on the fly. Uh, we needed, you know, I had no idea Jonah wrote that. I'm so impressed we were, now. Mike, Mike and I, the way Mike and I work, it's like if there's a dumb idea, it stays in the movie. And when Boom. we were the, when we were editing, we were like, wouldn't it be cool if this happened? And I texted John and I said, we want uh, like the character to do this. Like, so if you come up with something and 10 minutes later, he sent me the song, him playing on guitar, and uh, and uh, yeah, and that was it. It was like, yeah, this is it. That's the song. Some complex uh, lyrics. I, I love it. Yeah, it is and, great, then, yeah. and then we then we had fun recording. I played bass, and he played drums, and he sang obviously, and yeah, no, it was it was a very fun thing to do. I love the song. It's so stupid. <laughs> So a little bit about kind of where people can see this. So right now you guys are doing a theatrical run, correct? Yeah, yeah. Which is Only awesome. In 
Yeah. I love this. I love that we're getting kind of more independent horror kind of following the terrifier model and, and doing these theatrical runs, which we're going to ask you about Slaughterhouse in a sec, Mike. Um, <laughs> okay, sure, sure, of course. So yeah, so doing a limited theatrical right now, and then is it going wider? Are you guys heading to VOD? Like, where can people see this? It's pretty wide, actually. It's yeah. playing in a bunch of places. Oh, that's I, I, awesome. I don't, know, I don't know the theater count, but it was almost like it's over 500. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh whoa. So, yeah, Congrats, yeah, guys. That's huge. It's, it's like every AMC and Regal, and, and you know, which is like amazing for a small film like that. But like you're saying, it's kind of a, awesome. a different time. Yeah. You know, between between terrifier and the 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 winnie the pooh movie and like you know there was a couple uh skin of a rink there, there's been these kind of like like you know little indie things and and really again i just really am so grateful to epic pictures and iconic releasing for giving us the opportunity because if not you know it could easily just appear on a streamer and, and be forgotten yeah. about but but the, they felt like no 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 this this is doing thing we had to wait a year to, for to release it because we you know uh hispanic heritage month seems to be the thing that's when they we premiered at uh at fantastic fest and then you know they were like okay we're gonna release it but hispanic heritage month so we've had to, to wait a year but here we are so it's worth it i, I that's actually so just, awesome. saw, just saw a memory i think it was on my on my facebook or my instagram a memory came up about a year ago uh, presenting at Fantastic Fest, and yeah, it was really yeah. funny because how, how we introduced the movie, and the first thing Mike Mike says, "Well, we uh we hope you all like it because uh we just finished this five days ago and we haven't seen it." <laughs> like, I well, I actually, remember. you know what? It's funny, but I think I think literally the movie was finished uh, one year ago. Like the movie yeah, going exactly. yeah. yeah. uh, exactly to be so... That is so painful when you finish something and then you're literally just sitting on it for months. It feels like oh, it's been, an un- it didn't do it. Yeah. Well. It, 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 it didn't do it. It's, it's been it, around, it, but it, it yeah. is. It is kind of weird. It's almost like a thing you forgot you did. You know, because yeah. it's kind of you go on to, to other life and other stuff and striking and all all that stuff. And then it's oh like, yeah, oh, we, we have a we have a movie to cover release. Which which you know that's not helping that we can't have our cast help us promote the movie <laughs> even though it's incredibly indie and there's nothing studio about it but but you know we're, we're trying we're trying to to get our waiver and stuff and hopefully we'll have bring in the reinforcements to help yeah. promote so well, also i mean yeah. it just you're talking about like spreading the message i think in theaters imagine being 13 14 and if you guys had seen this film when you were 13 14 if you had mm-hmm. seen that kind of representation of yourself on screen in a genre you love uh, you know, it might, uh, you're obviously here anyway, so maybe you didn't need it, <laughs> but right. a lot of people. No, 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 but you did, you did, you yeah. did need it. And, I, and we had this something that we have been talking about. You two know a ton about horror movies. Tell me from the uh, horror movies that we grew up with uh, in the 80s, which one has a Latino character? Yeah. Yeah. There's or a Latino one, theme that one or... person who dies yeah. in that one scene in Friday 13th for a second. Um... <laughs> Yeah, there's, yeah, there's, yeah. There's, exactly. that's the problem. Yeah, I, I think yeah. I think yeah. there's one that, but that's the thing. Yeah. It's like, I, and I and I once dressed for Friday the Thirteen and tried to find the Latinos and watch all the deaths again. Yeah. And I think there was one, but it's yeah, that's the whole thing that we grew up loving horror, uh, loving a genre that wasn't really representing us, mm-hmm. and and that's partly what we wanted to to do here, you know, and also take back the reins of our own narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we would always say like you know the cliche is that the black guy always dies first, and we're like, well, the Latino's not even in the movie, mm-hmm. so yeah, we'd like to do something. To... Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, totally. And and let alone themes and concepts and things like that. And and you know, and when it is representation, it's a little cliche. I mean, the example that that I used was last Hispanic Heritage Month. They they uh, DC Comics made a Green Lantern, uh, and he made him Latino, and they made the cover great. But at the last second, they add a bag of uh, of tamales in his hand. Oh. Uh, and uh, yeah, exactly. And it's kind of like, look, guys, I appreciate the effort, but but like Latino culture is not tacos and tamales. There there is more to it. And and so I thought it was kind of interesting of kind of like look we know la llorona we know uh chupacabra but like what else is there there's so many like snake monsters and creatures and gods and like you know um we're uh el cucuy the the boogeyman duendes you know which are like little little uh forest sprites you know there's so many things that we can oh. play with that it's a different type of latino story Ruby, that isn't a cartel Ruby thing and a gang thing Rubik's Cube. Yes, exactly. Well, and that was yeah, I love that so much because it blended so the good. folklore so with good. like this contemporary geek culture. Like it was just such a beautiful blend. Yeah, it's and, so good. And and Demian confessed to us that he wrote it uh, two weeks before uh two weeks before shooting. Uh he just confessed to us recently. Like, yeah, like I came he, up with they it. Were the last winging him. They were winging him. Yeah. <laughs> oh. So there's also a lot of just uh, it's something we talk about sometimes there are deeper cut movies that we get into but like you know like the last few years I didn't grow up at all with Mexican horror films just never were, I grew up in New Zealand so probably wasn't making it there and then the last couple of years I've discovered some of the best films have come from that golden period whether it's like 40s 50s 60s like the the witch's mirror and movies like witch's that witch's mirror that are just um, phenomenal and creepy yeah. and very relatable also, culturally, you know. There's a La Llorona that I show in my class now that I believe is from the 30s or 40s. And it's the yeah. scariest visage ever. And I now use that in my class. Um, and it's it's a But that seems missing from the... The reason I bring that up is it really does seem missing from the history text. Like, if I looked up old good horror films, it's going to be the classic Universal movies. And I these other movies are far more... Uh, they're doing something that gets under your skin a lot more and just so interesting. I don't know why that part of this kind of horror history has been more or less lost. Yeah. And, and there's also that good kind of exploitation, very pulpy mm -hmm. stuff, the Night of the Bloody yeah. Apes, the Santos films, yeah. you know. The El, El Vampiros. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, that that also is kind of like, it's, and that's the thing, we're also, it's such a huge part of the, the modern horror audience today that go to see horror films that it just mm -hmm. seemed to kind of make sense, you know. It's beautiful. Yeah. Okay, before we lose you, Mike, we got to ask about Slaughterhouse. Okay. Uh -huh. so, have the others seen it? Wait, have the others seen Slaughterhouse? Have you guys seen Slaughterhouse? Okay. I, don't, I don't think so. No, no, I don't He's hiding so. it. Okay, so um, a couple of nights ago, Elric and I went to see this movie in a theater. God bless theaters. Um, About a killer sloth. And I come home and I'm researching it. And suddenly I'm like, fuck, Mike Mendes directed this shit. Wait, didn't direct okay, it. Mike, he edited it. Edited it. Sorry, that was Matthew, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Matthew Goodhue. Sorry. Um, Goodhue. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. But you edited uh, it. It was so cool to see your name. So tell us about Slaughterhouse. Well, well, look, as as a, as a Latino, we are hardworking, man. We say yes to every job. Uh, and so I, I can't uh, I can't say no to a job, goddammit. And so I literally was finishing, uh, it, like, I, I, I didn't really even have time. They, they kind of, like, snuck it on me, kind of like, hey, we really need an editor. I think you would, you would be great for this because you do horror comedy and, and whatnot. And, and, and the reason, my appeal for it, the reason that I was kind of, like, thinking about it, it was... It was the first slasher movie for children, and and I wanted to be a part of that. I, I felt like, goddamn, if it if someone's gonna make, is. yes, totally, the absolute gateway drug for you know for horror for for like little toddlers is Slaughterhouse, and but I'm like, like all right, I, I gotta, like, I gotta, 
Can my four-year-old like watch five. it? Yeah, like a four yes. or five-year-old, I think. Because yeah, absolutely. it's PG-13, mm-hmm. but there's really not nothing questionable in it, aside from sloth-related violence where the sloth is hurting people. And so yeah. my kids had asked me if they could come see it. And I was like, I don't know, this might get weird. No. And then I got home and I was like, okay, y'all, we can totally watch Slother House as a family. Totally, now, right? My yeah, kids absolutely. are going to love it. So, yeah. So it was just this crazy period. I was working on, on Beavis and Butthead, uh, Save the Universe, sorry, Beavis and Butthead, Do the Universe, uh, and, and Satanic Hispanics was coming up. And I just had like three, four weeks that I'm like, okay, I could do it. But I mean, it's going to be, we're going to pull like all nighters, you know, straight. And, and uh, you know, we, we made Slother House and it was a delightful experience. You know? uh, Matthew Goodhue was just a, a delight to, to work with it. I think, you know, the movie is just so strange. I was like, I have no idea what's going to happen with this film. I really like was like, usually, you know, you have a sense this is going to go well. This is not going to go well. But that one, I'm like, I, I I don't know what to make of this. This really is is kind of its own unique, weird thing. So I'm really happy that it got a theatrical. And, yeah. uh, you know, again, strange that it, I literally went from that to um, to Satanic Hispanics. And then uh, Slother House is going to come out from the same distributor oh. as us. And then Satanic Hispanics is going to come out. So, so it's, there's a weird synergy between the two movies i guess so so you know you know this might be one of the better things that came out of the pandemic if there is such a thing is that we're now seeing these smaller indie films do theatricals like i felt like you know before the pandemic we were very much just kind of everything was going to vod and that really reached a pinnacle during the pandemic obviously because that's the only place you could put it but coming out from it i remember the very first thing that elric and i saw coming back to the theaters was that werewolf movie, the cursed. And that was another one, which was, it was like a tinier film, not tiny. It felt huge, but it was one that, you know, it didn't have a huge amount of runtime, but it was cool to see it in theaters. And then seeing things like Skinamarink or Slother house, things like this, things that are not studio made getting representation at theaters. I am loving to that. And I I would recommend you. Sorry, Mike. I think it's good for the theaters, and I think it's good for for indie film. I mean, it's really yeah. kind of a really special time, and the theaters need new content, and and this is kind of you know a window that people can discover new stuff. I, I hope yeah. people go. You know, that's the thing. Yeah. Where, you know, obviously we'd like to you know have more representation. We'd love to make Satanic Hispanics too, but we need the uh, people to come out, support the movie, and spread the word. So and I think oh, it yes. is a good theater film. I think it's a. I think it it's is. got so many different energy shifts, and it's going to be a good time for mm-hmm. people watching it alone on our laptop was totally fine. But I was sitting there going, okay, if I'd seen this at a festival, there's that other level, you know, especially with the com- comedic parts. Uh, so yeah, so go, go support the, it. The Hammer plays. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That The Hammer of Zanzibar is fun to watch with, with an audience for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. So they everybody, are, you know, but, yeah. please, please go see this one in a theater. Yeah. If you can't, you'll see it on VOD later, but this is very much a theatrical film. Excellent. Well, thank awesome. you all Thanks. so much for joining us tonight. It has been awesome. Um, so we will be back in two weeks with another Colors of the Dark. In the meantime, if you just really miss us blabbing about movies, you can find us over on our Patreon channel, Deep Cuts, where we will be talking about the weirdest of the weird stuff we can find. The Colors of the Dark podcast is a Fangoria production. Producers and co-hosts are Rebecca McKendry and Elric Kane. Executive producers are Tara Ainsley and Abby Gould. Associate producer is Jessica Soth of Amir. Sonic branding by Michael Rodriguez. And, of course, our amazing sound engineer, Ernie Hurtado. Hurtado.